Some very small, almost insignificant things in life can have a big impact. Uh, like these big trees around us uh, well, came from small seeds planted a long time ago, where they grow into a big tree that everyone can find shade under or enjoyment from. Also, if you're really badly sick, even uh, to the point of maybe dying, something like a small tablet with antibiotics can cure you, can make you better. Another big impact from something small. Sometimes things seem insignificant, they seem strange, they seem peculiar. Uh, there was a man, we've had lots of storms lately, lightning storms, severe storms. Many years ago there was a man when a storm would come, he'd run outside and run around in the lightning and people thought he was crazy. He was mentally unbalanced. But when Benjamin Franklin in 1750 flew a kite attached by a silk ribbon, he effectively uh, was able to trap lightning in a jar and electricity was discovered. Now we all benefit. Our lights are on. Across the world, mankind has benefited from electricity. So from very small, almost insignificant things can come something that can have a big impact and in some cases on the whole world. Today we're looking at a boy, a boy who was born and grew up in the Middle East who impacts all the world, good for those who follow him and bad for those who don't. The birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, uh, we see the accommodation was full. There was a census on. The Roman uh, government occupying a, a number of countries decided to have a census of all their countries, of their empire. And people then had to go back to where they were born. Uh, for Joseph, that meant he had to go back from, from Nazareth, where he was living, back to Bethlehem. Because of the census, uh, the people uh, all came back to where they are born. The, the towns and villages were all overcrowded. Uh, when Joseph got there, there was no accommodation. The place was full. And we see that in verse 7, there was no room at the inn. So the baby was born in a stable and placed in a manger where animals were kept. We don't know whether that was actually a stable, we don't know whether it's a cave, we don't know some those days sometimes people actually had animals in their houses, in the lower part of their houses or in part of their houses. We're not sure whether it was like that, but it definitely was that Jesus was born where animals were kept and placed in an animal feeding trough, a manger, when he was born. And everything here it points to an unimportant birth, doesn't it? Almost obscure, in poverty, even rejected. It's a very challenging start to life but then it changes quickly changes that night because there's shepherds out in the fields around uh, Bethlehem and these shepherds are despised and lowly cast of people they're working long hours they're in terrible weather conditions it's a smelly it's a hard difficult job yet these men are devout to God and God gives them a special privilege because that night in the pitch dark totally black they see a blinding light, they see an angel in this light. And they're terrified, it says in verse 9. And rightly so, uh, what happens? But in verse 10, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy, what is it? In verse 11, today in the town of David, and that's Bethlehem where they're from, a saviour has been born, he is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Uh, Christ means God's anointed one, anointed one a king. 
And uh, Lord is the word in the Bible, the Old Testament, for God. So Christ is both king and God. And that's the highest possible terms that you could talk about anyone, ever alone this little baby, this little innocent, helpless baby at his birth, the night he's born, in all the obscurity, in all the poverty, in all the rejection of the manger and the stable, these shepherds have had a vision and now come, proclaiming that Jesus is God's king and he is in fact God. They've been told that message. Back in Matthew in chapter 2, it also records what happens a little bit later. Matthew chapter 2 tells us of the visiting magi or wise men. And these wise men, uh, they come to a house, it says in uh, Matthew. So they're not no longer in the stable. In fact, they've come some weeks or months later. Because when Jesus was born, uh, the star has appeared. They've followed the star. Uh, they come from Persia or that area of Persia in the east. Uh, they're um, into astro astrology, astronomers. Uh, they're scientists. They're actually trained people. They have that whole uh, curiosity characteristic of a sci scientist who sees something remarkable in, the, uh, in astrology, sees some phenomenon they don't normally see and wants to find out about it. Now, they must have known already about uh, some, something said that there would be a star come and it would be the king of the Jews because that's what they come looking for, the king of the Jews. Now, to me, a star, yeah, I see them at night sometimes when it's not too bright, um, but stars aren't really a big deal for us, but they were in these days. In these days where you didn't have maps like we've got, you didn't have GPSs, you know, if I want to go somewhere, pull out my phone, I put the map on and put the dress in and it takes me there, it tells me where to go, it tells me where, even walking will tell me which way to turn, what, it tell me everything. They didn't have that. And uh, because it was hot and, and very dusty and dry, they'd often travel at night time. And the best way they could travel either day or night was to follow stars. They could, they could look up in the heavens and work out exactly where to go according to stars. They could plot their position in ways that we can't understand or most of us can't understand. And so they followed the star. And what was happening is in the heavens, in the, in the stars out there in the universe, there was a witness to the birth of Jesus. That's pretty big. That's huge. So we've got him sort of you know, in poverty. Um, we've got him sort of born in a, in a backward place and in significant birth. But now we've got an angel appearing. We've got a star appearing in the universe, witnessing to the birth of Jesus. And he said, it says here that the um, wise men said in verse 2, Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and came to worship him, in verse 2. The king of the Jews. Now, I've already seen that the angel said he's the anointed one, he's the king. Now these wise men come weeks or months later and they're looking for this king that they've been following this star. They come to King Herod, who's the Roman appointed ruler. Herod, we know, was Herod the Great. He died in 4 B.C., so Jesus was born somewhere before that. We think somewhere between you know, 6 and 4 BC that he was born. Throws our calendar out a bit, doesn't it? But don't worry about that. 
Dates and times don't matter. We know he was born. We know he was born in Bethlehem. We know these things happen. The times do not matter. Because as far as calendars came, they came much later. And we read in Micah in the Old Testament that it's been foretold that this was going to happen. Micah foretells that Christ is to be born, Christ God's king is to be born in Bethlehem in Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. That comes from Micah. Micah's drawing attention that Bethlehem's an insignificant place in the nation of Israel, in the, in the, land, in the families of Judah. Bethlehem is, is a backwater but it's going to be the city of David, the ruler of the king of Israel, would merge from. It's foretold that this king in the line of David would come from Bethlehem. And what sort of impact does he have? We have this little baby, we have, we have the, the angel appearing, we have the star in the sky, we have the wise men coming bearing gifts, and we sometimes think of them as three kings, don't we? Uh, they were wise men, they were obviously rich and powerful, they came with great treasures at that time to give to Jesus, and they probably were kings in their own right. But then we jump to Jesus being 12 years of age. We don't hear anything about him in the Bible till then. And in Luke chapter 2, it picks up Jesus as a 12-year-old going with his parents from Nazareth, up near Galilee, uh, down to Jerusalem for the annual Passover of the Jews. Now that was something that Jewish people were required to go to you know, almost every year, but not every year, but pretty often. It was quite common for families to go down there. And uh, a lot of people came from Nazareth and uh, went down there. Jesus was with his parents. Uh, at the end of the Passover, they, they went back. They thought Jesus was with them. He wasn't. Uh, and then they had to go and try and find him. They looked all over Jerusalem. Where would you find a 12-year-old boy? With other boys down the swimming hole or playing games or hanging out somewhere? Where would you find a 12-year-old boy? You know, nowadays, you know, skate park or, or you know, some sort of motocross or whatever you find a you wouldn't you know mcdonald's or kfc or wherever you'd find a 12 year old boy where would you find a 12 the last place you'd expect to find a 12 year old boy in a town would be the church wouldn't it if they had total freedom you wouldn't think they'd be hanging out at church for day in and day out and not just hanging out but talking to the church leaders and not just talking to church leaders but interacting with the church leaders in such a deep level that everyone's amazed because that's what happened. Chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. After three days, his parents found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. It wasn't just listening, he was asking questions. He had a really good mind. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus had such a knowledge of the Old Testament, such a, a comprehension of how it should work, that even the religious leaders, the, the most powerful, most intelligent men who knew the Old Testament better than anyone in the whole world, they were amazed at him at 12 years of age. We don't hear much about him after that. About 30 years of age, Jesus is baptised by John. And when he's baptised, the Holy Spirit comes on him and then he begins three years of revealing himself as God-made man. He doesn't suddenly say, hey, I'm God. doesn't do that at all. In fact, when people say you're God, he says, don't say anything to anyone. 
He doesn't want to tell people he's God. He wants people to see he's God. And so he does these miraculous things. He can control anything and everything he wants. There's nothing beyond his control. Whether it's a raging storm that's going to sink them in a boat in the night on the lake, or whether it's um, people with leprosy, or people being lame, or paralyzed, or blind, or deaf, or whether it's a 12-year-old girl who's died, or a man, Lazarus, who died four days ago and been buried four days, nothing and nothing at all that happens is beyond him being able to fix instantly with a word, not even raising a sweat, no effort at all. He's got total control. And people are then left asking the question, who is this Jesus? You know, he's a great teacher, but he's more than that. He's a miracle worker. He can do, he can do things that just other people can't do. Who is he? And, he? and he's calling people to follow him. And people are starting to realise that he's more than just a man. They're starting to realise he's God. God made man. Jesus is going to have an impact on human history like nothing and no one else. He's in a whole new category by himself. And what he does is going to have such a magnitude, there's going to be repercussions everywhere. Because the purpose of his coming has been told in John chapter 3 and verse 16. Jesus was sent for a purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Shall not perish. People in trouble because they fail to submit fully to their Creator, and that's everyone. And will perish, will be judged, will be in trouble. But God wants people to have eternal life. So it says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Believing. Believing in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Believing means to not just recognise who Jesus is because the Bible tells us that the demons and devil recognise Jesus. But believing means to recognise who he is, but then to respond to him, to see that he is the saviour of the world and that we need saving, I need saving, we all need saving. And to call upon him for forgiveness, to call upon him to save us. And not just stopping there, but now making him the Lord, the leader, the king of our life and following him. I'd encourage all of us this, this Christmas time to take a fresh look at Jesus. Being challenged that he had to come to save us. That doesn't sit well with me. I want to save myself. I don't like having to be saved by Jesus, but I know it's true. I know it's so true and we need to be people who are desperate for his continued help day in and day out in our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is never going to be right this side of heaven without Jesus. We need him every moment. So let's be totally dependent on Jesus. Yes, he was born a baby. Yes, he was ignored, put out in the stables, rejected by Herod and others. 
but he's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He is our saviour. He grew up to become a man who showed himself to be God and then died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins. We remember that at the communion service. Jesus giving his body, taking our punishment, giving his life, which is in his blood, so that we could have eternal life and be forgiven. Christmas is good news. It's really great news to us. The Saviour has come.